Hello, and welcome to Security Insights. I'm Gunnar Peterson, the CISO of Forder, which is a trust platform for digital commerce. Today, we have Marina Segal as our guest. Marina is CEO and co-founder of Tom Noon, which is a managed cloud security startup. We'll hear a lot about that and how she started that company. Uh, prior to that, Marina enabled Dome9, which is now acquired by Checkpoint, and Sysdig to become leaders in the cloud security market. She has a long experience over 17 years in security, managed security startups, compliance government at Deloitte, Credit Karma, and other startups. And she's also part of the WOSEC chapter. She's founded the WOSEC chapter in the Bay Area, which is at securitydiva.com. I'll uh, put a link to that in the in the chat uh, below. Welcome, Marina. So I want to hear kind of about, I think at a high level, uh, as we were talking briefly, we could think about Tom Noon and let's dive into that. But if we, the TLDR on Tom Noon, and you can tell me if I have this right, is it's sort of a step two kind of cloud security company or a next level cloud security company where you you started with the basics if you're a defender and it's sort of like you're getting all these findings out of your your SIM or out of your CSPM or the other security tools that are out there. It's sort of like, now what? Is that is that kind of where you see Tom Noon fitting in? Do I have that right? Yeah, exactly. We are dealing with everything that happens after the detection happened. Um, still not fully out of cells, uh, so I'm not going to give you too many hints, but basically we are dealing with everything that happens past the detection and uh, all the way through the production and until the problem is gone. Uh, it can be prevented, it can be mitigated, remediated. Um, but our job is to just knock out all of those problems that the detector, the detection tools are surfacing. Okay, so still not out of stealth. Let's let's go back, let's drop you back into stealth mode and you can talk about the industry a little bit more broadly. And if we look at the big picture of cloud security today, uh, what do you think the main challenges are that, that the companies face with the first level tools that they bring into the fight? If you're a defender, you know, and you're bringing your first wave of tools for your cloud security environment, what do you think the challenges are there? Um, so as, as an industry as a whole, um, we, we are at this very initial phase of cloud adoption. A lot of companies um, are very mature, but majority of the companies actually are either just migrated or just starting their cloud journey. And um, when the tools are being developed, they already develop for more advanced customers who already use the cloud and understand. So basically when a company starts using the technology, the technology is much more advanced than the people and, and the state of their maturity. So that is one this is one problem. Another problem is that uh, amount of cloud, amount of security that we need for cloud is way, way higher than the amount of people or talent that is available in the market, uh, which makes it extremely difficult to not only to find people, but also to retain them because people who know something about cloud and cloud security, they're in very high demand. So chances are that they will go 
after very lucrative jobs in the market. So um, it's a it's a leverage problem, right? So like if I started a you know a website selling postage stamps on the internet or something, I I guess I would think I should know a lot about postage stamps, but I shouldn't have to be a security expert to sell postage stamps on the internet. And I probably shouldn't have to scale a security organization at the same level as the security challenges scale. I should be worrying about selling postage stamps, right? Exactly. And and uh, security is always an afterthought. There is a lot of, um, you know, as we adopt the agile principles, a lot of the times, and even, you know, any startup that is out there, it's all about velocity these days. So basically you're going to need to compromise and you're going to need to increase your technical and security depth, which is normal for companies who want to run fast. The problem is when you, when the time comes and you need to address all of the security depth that, that you have because you're running so fast and because we now have the technology and amazing tools to allow this velocity and, and expansion in the cloud, um, you are in the problem of finding those right people to fix the security depth and um, making very invasive changes in your production environment that are going to uh, put your developers under a lot of pressure to make changes to something that is already running and no one wants to break something that is running in production. Um, so yeah, it is very challenging because of the velocity, the amount of tools, the, the lack of people and the, um, the complexity of the changes that we will need to make over time to fix security problems. Right. And and I, I think you said that really, really succinctly and well, and I hadn't heard that exact perspective before about how the, you know, sort of the leverage of security debt, you know, increasing faster maybe than, than it should when the business is growing, it just creates a huge headwind for people starting their own companies that, that should, you know, in a perfect world, be focusing on their core business, not becoming security experts. But if, if we assume that, you know, companies move to the cloud, the first kind of things that they would typically do maybe is they invest in their SIM capability. They invest in things like CSPM um, and other capabilities that try to improve their detection and protection capabilities. I think one of the things that's common, and you and I talked about this before the call, um, you know, is they all face a major signal to noise problem. And um, my old buddy, Gary McGraw, used to call these things badnessometers, right? So they don't really tell you what's good, but they just tell you a long list of things that are bad. Well, the list of things that could be bad is, is a pretty long list. Um, and the more things you're deploying, the more badness possibility or plausibility comes along with that. So if there's new assets coming to the cloud every day, more alerts coming every day, the company has to chase them all down. You know, how do you see, how do you see companies being able to cope with this problem, with this with this signal to noise, and and maybe the data is not always so good, even though there are probably real vulnerabilities in there that they have to pay attention to as well. The sad reality is that majority of the companies have not figured it out. Uh, we the only um, thing we have figured out is how to detect problems in the cloud and we do it very well. We, we, we are extremely advanced in our tool set. Um, now every tool 
that we are taking into our environment, it needs to come with this triangle of humans who operate the tool, people, and the process around it. So while we figured out the technology piece, I feel I still think that the people and the process side is very um, lacking today. And most of the companies are in this, I think we are we in understanding that we need to do something about this problem. Uh, and alert fatigue is not a new problem of the cloud. It just became significantly uh, more major because of the amount of things we have in the cloud and the amount of APIs and scalability. So um, our cloud is scaling. And with that, all of the findings and misconfigurations that we deploy in the cloud is also scaling at the same pace. So basically, Right now, there are different ideas in the market that we are seeing on how to deal with this problem. And a lot of uh, companies and, and security teams and experts are, are looking at it and trying to figure out what to do. Um, some of those problems can be solved automatically with some streamlined um, processes that use technology to immediately fix misconfigurations as they appear. Um, however, not a lot of misconfigurations are deterministic enough so that you can write some what if function or some streamlined process that will not involve any human intervention to, to fix the problem. Um, a lot of things can be fixed in, in the infrastructure as a code template pre-deployment, uh, which is very cool. Uh, however, reality shows us that it's it's also not enough because most of the problems will still appear in production because of the changes that are done directly in, in on the console side or because not all of the misconfigurations were born from the IEC. Um, and majority of the world is still not codified enough to code it pre-deployment. Um, so while we have the tools and technology that's supposed to be helping us with the scalability problem, the main, the the core issue that I'm seeing today is that we cannot scale human brains and human decision making and and the process that needs to be there in order for all of the misconfigurations to be triaged and fixed. Um, and and that's where I think we should be paying attention because not we still have drivers in Tesla. We don't have cars that are driving on their own in the same goes to security. We we need to put those drivers and provide them tools that will allow them to drive the security tool set in the most efficient way to scale their decision-making processes. Yeah, that, that's an interesting uh, analogy with the drivers and Teslas. The, you know, misconfiguration is something that you see a lot in, in cloud security literature and findings. And to me, that's a it's a pretty broad brush to paint with. Um, I mean, I understand it's a good starting point, but if we could compare some examples of, you know, maybe what what is identifiable ahead of time to your point um, and, and which are still challenges, you know, is, is infrastructure easier to find ahead of time in infrastructure misconfiguration? as compared to something like identity and application level issues and and you know how do you how do you how do you think about which is an easier one to scale into as a security provider 
Um, it's a it's a complicated question, and, and uh, the answer is in each and every specific company and its implementation of of the infrastructure. Um, if we are looking at the company that is running in the cloud for a while and nothing was codified and deployed through Terraform, you cannot detect anything uh, via, uh, in the pre-deployment state. So you need to go to production and find those misconfigurations. Some of them easier to fix, some of them much more complicated and um, will require big initiatives. So as you mentioned, IAM definitely huge effort will be required to fix IAM problems. So if, for example, we detect a Lambda function that has a star, um, in order to remediate this problem, you're gonna need to do an extensive exercise of understanding which services are being called, are they being used over time? And then um, also involve humans to identify stuff that this Lambda maybe was not never using, but it is supposed to use once in a year. Um, and this exercise is always being delayed by the companies unless something major happens. Um, on the other hand, things like root users that do not have MFA enabled, this is something that we can fix pretty quickly. Um, and this the, the risk is very high. So um, the this relationship between the impact um, on your production, the effort that is required to fix things and the severity of the problem is definitely a combination that we always need to look at when prioritizing and, and fixing the problems. Right, so a, a, known, a known problem, a known solution that is within reach that is, is, a, is a really effective remediation. So let's talk about, let's talk about what happens after you get a finding. Uh, the, the other side of the badnessometer uh, you know, once you surface a finding, you know, what are the keys to getting that finding on the most efficient path to remediation? You know, because if they were easy to fix to the points you've been making, it wouldn't even be in production. That it, it wouldn't even be an issue. So, I mean, I think by definition, right. one thing that doesn't occur to people going into security is all the easy problems have already been solved by the providers. And we're sort of left with all of the next level type of problems. Um, so, so as you weigh as you weigh them with the sort of decision tree that you just laid out there, you know, how do you weigh countermeasure options? And then once you identify that MFA is the countermeasure of choice, or or what have you, or or, or removing a star and constraining it to to an, an allow list or something for identity permissions, how, how do you do that? Wayne, and how do you communicate that guidance to engineers in an effective way? I mean, that, that seems to me to be a really important problem in the industry for a really long time. Yeah, um, I find it to be a very interesting problem of more from the psychology uh, rather than from, from the security or org level psychology, if, if you will. Basically, the the underlying conflict of security is that you need to persuade team that is not necessarily reporting to you to do something that their boss didn't tell them to do. Yeah, um, the, so the uh, def definition of a security leader is a project manager for somebody who doesn't report to you, right? So You got it, yes. Yeah. And, and then in order to do that, 
Um, when I was running, you know, remediation and 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 a team that was responsible for for this type of uh, problem, basically what I found to be very efficient is to wear the shoes of the developer for a minute and help them to do um, some of the remediation flow. Um, either to do it together with them or prepare everything for them to save their time and, and just let them run it whenever you get their attention. So basically, when the misconfiguration is coming to someone's plate, first thing that comes to mind, okay, what else am I going to break? Um, is anything else going to be impacted? Is, is my other uh, application or my core functionality will, will get broken. So this impact analysis is essential and, and definitely needed when you need to persuade someone to do something for you. Another thing is that developers are not fixing things or making changes in production every day. There is like a very sad process of sprints or maintenance windows. So you're gonna need to understand what is that window that you can fit it into and how um, how busy is this window already? Can you squeeze anything into it? Um, another thing that is super important, which also is, goes back to your prioritization point, because you you might have room for three things or five things, but you might have a list of ten. And you, and I think security teams are not always the best at prioritizing. Mm -hmm. it, you know, if everything's a crisis, then nothing's a crisis that's going to get dealt with, kind of thing. Yeah, I think a good security team would always have their least prioritized or sorted by order so that, you know, whenever a developer has a minute, they have, here it is, this is my top factor first. They cannot bombard them with 200 at this time because nothing will get done. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times what we are seeing is that there are some priorities in, for the company, business objectives that each and every company prioritizes for the quarter, for the year. If... If a company is in the major exercise of cost reduction, you may want to use your um, security-related activities that will reduce costs um, and push them into the, the uh, pipelines uh, and, but with the explanation that it will also help you with your other priority, right? Um, if you are under huge audit that is focused on one of your applications that has to be done in the next quarter, it's a very good uh, opportunity for the security team to prioritize some efforts that is related, that are related to this specific application. So there are a lot of things that can help you to persuade, um, but you just need to use them wisely and associate them with the task that you're providing to developers. So you're in stealth. <clears throat> You're in stealth now. Is it is it fair to say though that this is part of the question that led you to want to to start a company? Absolutely. Um, my well, what led me to start a company is that um, I wanted to um, find a problem that I'm very excited about and 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 drive this. Uh, problem to to maturity in resolution. Um, I've been passionate about compliance and op making compliance operational since I, I 
finished my studies and basically started my first job at Deloitte. I was always thinking that it makes no sense to uh, to take screenshots to to make compliance assessment operational. Um, and when I joined Domnine as a product manager, I was so excited by you know the fact that someone was able to figure out how to do risk assessment or compliance assessment in a very automated and streamlined way. Now, eight, eight years into it, I figured that while it's not enough to, um, to, to only run the compliance, we, we actually need to help companies to make sense out of all of the great and amazing technology that they are running in their environments because what we are seeing is this pattern of um, someone taking the tool, implementing the tool, excited about the, the the new tool in the environment, fixing, doing some cleanup, and then it just evaporates because there are so many other priorities. So we want to make this process repeatable and streamlined um, and, and, and solve the decision-making and process problem for the companies. And that's what led you to, to start Tom Noon I'd like to shift gears to your the entrepreneur side of your journey for a minute. And like, was there an exact time that you can remember when you had the idea to actually, you know, form a company? And, you know, I think a lot of technical people can see problems and, and they can see the solutions. Maybe even sometimes you can see a solution that can scale. Um, but it's a it's a whole other level of what you did to actually build a company from scratch. How do you remember the moment when you decided, and how did that come to be? And how did how did and when you did that, how did you think about building a team that could execute on your on the vision? Um, so I don't think it was one moment. It was a very long journey for me of two years and experimenting with many different ideas. And I think my aha moment there was that. Um, you need to start building a company from uh, from the big understanding of the big picture rather than from looking at the solution and technical uh, feasibility of some feature or some exciting innovation that you think on the technical levels. I think so. so it was uh, Roche Gadol. It was Roche Gadol then. Yeah, yeah. It's like just taking your head off of, of the details and just looking at the big, big picture and finding uh, a marking that it, market that is major um, and, and, and understanding how your skill set and the skill set of your team can, can be useful in this specific market. I guess this was my big aha moment. And um, I mean, I, I got to say, I think a hundred out of a hundred companies in the cloud have, have the problem that you are, that you describe. So uh, that that part seems like a big check mark. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of things need to, it's like a magic moment that, that you figure that so many things uh, happened at the same time for you and your, for your founding team, because you cannot start a company if you are too busy with, with some other priorities, whether it's personal or, or professional, you cannot start a company if you are not in a um, in a good place or you don't have the right team around you. So basically a lot of kind of, a, it was a magic moment that when a lot of those moments just happened all at once for me and for my founders. And that's when we said, okay, we are just leaving our jobs. 
Um, and that was, um, that happens after two years of ideation. So it was not a moment. It was definitely a long, long process with COVID in the middle. Um, and each idea had its own name. So I have like a bunch of pitch decks for uh, 10 other startups that we were thinking about. But that was like an exciting journey to, to actually nail the problem that we really are passionate about and want to solve. Awesome. Well, uh, Marina Segal, thank you for sharing your insights on cloud security, on, on uh, Tom Noon and still in stealth for how much longer we don't know, but I think people will be interested to hear what you have to say when you're out of stealth. I do have one final question for you. If somebody was going to Tel Aviv and wanted to get really good hummus, where, where do you think, where would you send them? Uh, I would say that hummus probably not in Tel Aviv, but if you are in Tel Aviv, you should visit the Kosem falafel stuff. Um, that is my favorite one. I know that they opened a few new branches that I haven't visited, which is a shame on them that they just opened a few more branches. But the, the one on the King George Street is, is, is the place to go. I know that one well, and I, I will double. I will double plus one on Hakusama as well. So, uh, thank thank you for that, uh, Marina Sigal. Thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate you joining us, and uh, we will put some links in the description below to some of the uh, issues that you raised, as well as to your website. And a lot of people will be interested to follow your progress and your company's progress. Thanks again for your time today. Mm -hmm.